0: You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others.
1: Well, good morning. Hey, Gospel Hope and all those who happen to listen to us, this is the Reconciling Hope Podcast, and uh, glad to have you. This uh, uh, morning's uh, kind of a uh, debrief uh, on the, uh, from a message that was preached this past Sunday uh, entitled, uh, God is Always at Work. Was that the title, right? God is Always uh, at
0: Work? No, that was the point. It was Comeback was the title.
1: Oh, Comeback was the title. Thanks for that, yeah. yeah. So uh, Sunday was a pretty interesting Sunday, an exciting one for us. Uh, as you know, that was our last Sunday together before the big Super Tuesday, and just on a very appropriate message platform. But then we had a lot of other things happening too. We had a chance to baptize four people, Uh, during our pull-up and praise, um, uh, praise and prayer time that we had uh, um, at four o'clock yesterday. So that was uh, just an awesome time in the Lord and uh, just very moving uh, for Mm -hmm. us overall. And uh, so I'm I'm excited about what the Lord is doing at Gospel Hope. And I'm also, um, I have a high degree of anticipation and excitement about what the Lord is doing in our nation relative to politics. Mm -hmm. And not because I am championing any particular candidate. Because I'm interested in seeing how the Lord will prove himself to be true through these messages that we've been preaching as we walk through the book of Daniel on how to live faithfully in a fallen world. And so I guess let's just kind of rip the, uh, rip the band-aid off and start talking about uh, Sunday's message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you started us off by saying we must trust uh, that God is always working. We must mm-hmm. trust that. And, uh, you know, you kind of lay that against the backdrop that sometimes there's a leader in place that may not look like what we like or what we would ever champion for, but we must trust, regardless of that, that God is always at work. And you gave us kind of four basic points to help us live out that imperative, and they were, you know, we must trust that the Lord is the one who appoints, the the Lord is the one who avenges, the one who acquits, and the one who will ascend. And I want to kind of slow walk a couple of these, and specifically when you said it is the Lord who appoints. You really doubled down in reminding us that God is sovereign in who the leaders are that end up leading. And the question that I have for you is, how does a a Christ follower hang on to that truth that it's the Lord who appoints, but not end up or, 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 or fight the temptation toward determinism? and say, well, then I don't need to vote, or I don't need to participate in civic duty, or uh, it's all just a big sham. How do we fight that kind of mentality, knowing that it's the Lord who's sovereignly appointed?
0: Yeah, so, you know, in the ancient world, um, people are, really didn't have a, a say a lot of times in who was who was their leader. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was the king by birth, and and then you, you get to the um, Israel, and people are, you know, the kings are just directly appointed by, by the Lord. Hey, go anoint this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it came through birthright. So people didn't really participate in a elective process, as it were. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is a privilege that we who are in the United States have the opportunity to be a part of choosing our leaders. I mean, that's a gift that the Lord has granted to us. But at the end of the day, that, op- that doctrine that he appoints whoever is in positions of authority, whether directly or mm-hmm. through the vote of people uh, is meant to be a comfort to the people of God. Like mm-hmm. it just, it's supposed to, the Bible uses it as a way to kind of take the pressure off of us. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have to kind of white knuckle it and like make sure our candidate gets in office at all costs, or if our candidate loses, then we lose. No, like We should exercise the rights that God has given us. We should steward the gift of um, voting privileges and things like that. We should do all those things and and view them as, you know, the Lord's kindness to us. But at the end of the day, we should rest. We can go to sleep, you know, on Tuesday night if the elections results are in. We can go to bed and know that God has it. Uh, He's in control. I'm not arguing for apathy or inaction, but I am – I am arguing for trust, knowing Mm. that God is the one ultimately in control, not us, not us.
1: Yeah. You said something else during the message that I thought was equally powerful as a balance to this point. And that is for someone listening who didn't hear the message, and I would encourage you to go listen to it. But you said, and hey, because that person, uh, a Nebuchadnezzar or any of that type, is in office or in leadership by God's sovereign or providential appointment, it doesn't mean that God is saying, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. He isn't saying that I, 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 I'm I in love with this person and all their ideas, and this is somehow a blessed campaign platform. That's not what God is saying either. Right, right. Because I think you point out later in the message that God's end game is his glory. And That's he has right. a wonderful way of getting glory out of a whole host of circumstances. And we haven't gotten there yet, so I don't want to spill any wine before it's time. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, right with the that? idea of, uh, mm-hmm. I think the way I said it in the message was like God appointed Hezekiah, who mm-hmm. was one of the greatest kings in Israel, if not the best, I mean, one of the most God fearing for sure, and Herod, who was, yeah. again, a monster who sought to kill the baby Jesus. So I, I think that gives us a balanced perspective that just because someone's in power, like mm-hmm. you said, doesn't mean that they're um, blessed by the Lord. Even mm-hmm. evil people, like when Saul was at his worst, David mm. said, I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Like, mm-hmm. hey, he is still placed there by the Lord, and I can rest that God's got this.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. You made a second point. You said that the Lord avenges. And in that one, you called us really to kind of get our, our faithful living in a fallen world. You really called us to this idea that, that, that it is the Lord who brings about justice. And we saw Nebuchadnezzar getting corrected. Uh, in a crazy way, uh, there in Daniel chapter four, and and so the question that I have for you here is, hey, what would you say to the person who, who really just has a hard time waiting for God to work out justice, uh, his on his clock, and we want to see God act now. We want to see Him right. act, act justice right now.
0: Yeah, um, I, I would say yes. That that's hard. That's yeah. a difficult thing. But that's part of the reality of living in a fallen world. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't say that like to be dismissive or anything like that. But we as Christians play the long game. Mm-hmm. We do like our we in one sense sacrifice the good of the moment for the good of eternity. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what it says in Hebrews chapter eleven, where by faith Moses, you know, right. rather than being called in the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Traded all that for what? For the reproach of Christ. Why? Right. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. And mm. in one sense, we as Christians do believe in eschatology, like right. the end times, that there is coming a day when, when the scales of justice, the Lord will balance them. And it is heartbreaking um, that we live in a world that that's not true. But that's just part of what God calls us to do. You know, how long, O oh Lord, is the cry of the saints uh, in the Book of Revelation? How long,
2: mm-hmm. and, and
0: that's in the Lord's hands. Or even the Apostle Paul says that our note, our emotional note as we go through this life, should be sorrowful mm-hmm. yet always rejoicing. Um, mm-hmm. Even Jesus Christ, our Savior, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Because he was playing the long game, knowing that. We look to Jesus, the Author and the Finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, yeah, for the cross despises shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. We have to have a ten million year perspective, not just a twenty year perspective. Um, yeah. And I know that's challenging, that's difficult, but but that's a biblical reality that God calls us to.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what? Though you did a great job of just kind of walking us through several texts where it isn't just you know we the meager daily modern believer are called to have that long game view. You looked at Moses, who the long game for him, I mean, he's, I mean, he again died looking into the promised land, but not necessarily. Right. And so the yeah. the larger reality that he's looking for is yet, you know what I mean? He's, he's still in the long game. Uh, I couldn't help but think about even Peter's words when he says, there are those people who suggest that, Hey man, the Lord's not coming back. All things are just continuing as they always have or always, they, as they always do. And he says, well, wait a minute. God is not sloppy or lax as it is concerning His promises, but He's not willing to any appearance, But that all should come to repentance. And so, this this additional duration that we have until God comes and reconciles or all things or rights the balances of the scale is just an additional gracious opportunity for more folks to come to repentance. That's right. And, yep. and can we view? Can, do we view it that way? That that God is actually being gracious, not forgetful um, about all the things that are happening. So, yeah. Um, no, but the but being in the word is a, is, a, is a critical part of helping our hearts to stay balanced in that. If you're just looking at the circumstances, it seems like you're always gonna be in this constant mode of, of gripe um, against the Lord and his timing. Right. Um, one more idea. Similar note, you gave us a third point. It is the one who the Lord, uh, the Lord, he acquits, he acquits. Mm-hmm. And you were focused there on how uh, it was the Lord who actually, when Nebuchadnezzar was kind of you know, return to a place of sanity and, and repentance. Um, uh, you know, after this season uh, of whatever was going on in his life, and there are some who might look at that and go, "Well, wait a minute. He was overall, you know, kind of a bad guy. And so, you know, why does the Lord acquit? Why is the Lord so gracious like that? It just doesn't seem like, you know, even when the Lord, you know, we might be tempted to look and say, "Well, if the Lord is really doing justice, He should have gotten, you know, Nebuchadnezzar for all his, the bad He's done." And and mm-hmm. and maybe a question, a more uh, concise question would be, hey, if my heart, Rod Dewberry, if my heart uh, does not want to see bad leaders come to repentance, but rather to get their just desserts, what does that say about me, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I would say, first of all, that's a very natural temptation. Yeah. Again, because we're temporal beings. Um, you know, we, we, we tend to think from a temporal perspective mm-hmm. um, and don't see, again, the long game like we talked about um but i think it's a call if if you're really wanting people not to come to repentance um it is a a call for you to really examine um the gospel once again
2: mm-hmm. to
0: look freshly at the gospel you know the apostle paul he had the perspective like god showed me mercy the chiefest of sinners the worst of sinners wow. and so i think one of the reasons why paul was so able to extend grace throughout his ministry even those who opposed him is because he often reflected on the idea of i'm an object of god's mercy other people are an object of god's mercy they need to receive it i receive god's grace i should give god's grace so um it's not um longing for justice doesn't mean that we want damnation for people that's not the same thing Mm. so you know we should want everybody to come to repentance that doesn't mean they get off without any consequences in the long run i think having that distinction so if a person murders um another human being you know they should suffer um consequences for that and yet as believers even if that person murders you know somebody that we dearly love our hearts should be breaking and say we want them to come to repentance it's not that we want them to get out of jail necessarily but it's that we do want them to come to know the Lord so that don't, they don't suffer eternal judgment for what they've done. So I think that distinction is important too the difference between eternal penalty and natural consequences for our behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. Once again, inviting us into the eschatological view because judgment is definitely an eschatological, something of eschatological weight. It's permanent, final, but justice can be meted out in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, temporal, consequential, uh, balanced, you know, right now in the contemporary moment. So mm-hmm. you know, I like that distinction of helping us separate ultimate judgment from the meeting out of justice for crimes or even sins uh, committed. Yeah. Here. Um, so interact with this statement a little bit with me because you you said this, uh, you, you alluded to it just a moment ago, that those of us who have received mercy, I think you put it, should be the quickest to extend it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I think you kind of touched on it. I mean, would you expand on that? Or do you feel like that's, uh, you know, that's it?
0: Yeah, that's all. I just said (laughs) it. I said it and let it be written. Uh, Yeah,
1: Yeah, there you go.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, Uh, Christians should be the most merciful people in the world. mm -hmm. I I mean, that's really because if you have trusted in Jesus, you know how desperately you needed mercy. You should have been an object of wrath but you became an object of grace. And because you've tasted mercy, we should be really quick to extend it to others.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, when it comes to our views of total depravity, I think there are many of us who don't really view ourselves as depraved. I think we really do believe that we are born somehow essentially good and salvation is just kind of like hitting a lottery or finding some hidden treasure. It's not like we were on a downward path and doomed and should be recipients of God's wrath. I think that's one of the, cause we, again, you mentioned Paul, I could name a series of people throughout history that were probably worse than Paul, but Paul really did view himself as the chief among sinners. Therefore he didn't view his mercy as cheap. Um, so, but no, that, that's, that's, that's a good thing. The Um, song
0: is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, not, you know, fairly good grace. Um, it's, it's, it's a nice to have. Right. I'm not really that bad after all. Like that, yeah. when you realize that you needed God to rescue you, it should overflow in your disposition towards other people.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, one other question for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, obviously, a lot of the messages that we've been preaching here, it's, it's been inevitable um, to take a look at the political backdrop. Is that the primary cultural moment? that really created the tension for you in this message or was there anything else that you were looking at
0: yeah i think i'm also looking at kind of like after the election
1: mm-hmm.
0: how are we going to respond we don't just need to respond as christians before the election but after the election when the results are in mm-hmm. you know can we trust god with the results and can we trust god after the results and then try to live out these realities um even when we we know what the outcome is whether it's in our favor or in or in, whether we approve of the candidate or we disapprove of the candidate can we respond in a way that extends grace to the other side that seeks to say hey this is this is who the lord has appointed and i'm going to act respectfully and graciously even to people who really had differing opinions than me going into this
1: yeah, yeah yeah so again here gospel hope we always say that we want to you know make disciples who are growing in the gospel Um, as a family while on mission, Mm -hmm. um, and that that calls us to want to grow in our relationship with the Lord, grow in our relationship with one another, and of course, grow in our relationship with the world. Which one of those cues uh, or brushstrokes do you feel like is most apparent in in that message Sunday?
0: Yeah, I think I was thinking inward with Mm -hmm. our relationship with other Christians and outward in our relationship with the world. Inward meaning Man, believers, even in our church, are going to land in different places on this. How are we going to – are we going to trust the Lord with that as well? Mm -hmm. Are we going to trust these principles that the Lord appoints, the Lord acquits, the Lord avenges, the Lord ascends, um, Mm -hmm. even when people within our family of faith don't land in the same place? So Mm -hmm. how do we interact with one another? And then how how do we interact with the world? How do we respond to our government officials? you know whether or not we voted for them, are we gonna respond with um, really Christian principles, trusting the Lord with the results? And I think if we can mm-hmm. if, if we can really respond in godly ways, it will be really countercultural, like the church mm-hmm. will stand out um, because there's just so much vitriol, so much anger, so much disrespect, and um uh, I, I would just say you know ungodliness, unholiness in the way that we think about our leaders oftentimes in our culture at large. So if, if believers really can respond in godly ways, we will be that city on the Hill that the Lord has called us to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. Final question. Um, we always, you know, we say we are as a church want to display the reconciling hope, be a church that displays the reconciling hope of the gospel. Um, where would I have seen that in Sunday's message?
0: Well, weren't you listening, Rod? I mean,
1: listen for <laughs> the benefit of
0: other folks oh, the oh yeah. for the benefit of others you obviously don't know uh, <laughs> sorry um hey believers should ultimately be united around the glory of god mm-hmm. why did god do all of this that he did in the life of nebuchadnezzar to get glory for himself and yeah. that's something that all of us no matter what your background no matter what your ideology, if you're a follower of Christ, you should be united on the fact that the Lord is worthy of our, of his glory and of our worship. And so, um, I think that's where we should really find reconciling hope in the midst of this, that man, people in the church are worshiping the same God as I, and therefore we should be united together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I can't escape the reality of, uh, the, the, the contrast you pointed out between Hezekiah and Herod and how the Lord thought the highest, greatest, and best, I guess, um, uh, portrait of his glory would be had through a king that wanted to kill King Jesus and a government that wanted to destroy his life. And it was on that backdrop that he would raise Jesus from the dead and do the most magnificent and glorious thing that has ever happened to humanity. None of us would write that as a Netflix film. None of us would ever vote for that kind of activity. None of us would wish for it. None of us would pray for it. But every single one of us have benefited from God glorifying himself through the, mag- the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ with victory over sin, death, and the devil. Yep.
2: But,
1: but let's not forget, Jesus didn't die by mistake. He wasn't hit by a bus. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't kidnapped. Uh, he was, he, 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 he was killed, gave up his life, but yet at the same time, there's this, there's this wicked backdrop of human beings running amok yep. and God's glorified out of that. Yeah. So, That's right. so I, I think the gospel informs us that God can be glorified out of some of the most gritty of human circumstances that we would never wish for ourselves, but God uh, is still able to get glory from it. And right. uh, it's at the epicenter of the gospel. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the Lord's not taking November off. He's perfectly <laughs> right. executing yeah. his game plan, and we don't know what that is, but yeah. we can trust that it's a winning one.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, hey, that was the only question that I have. You man, you have anything else that you wanted to really highlight from Sunday's message as we kind of head into uh, this most iconic week in our nation's recent uh, history or evolution, if you want to call it?
0: Yeah, I just think, you know, my encouragement to Christians is keep the main thing the main thing, Yeah. You know, regardless of who wins this election. And it's not wrong to have opinions about that. Mm-hmm. But let's remember that we as believers are not hitched to any political party or any political candidate. We as believers are hitched to King Jesus, and he rules and he reigns, and, and nothing's going to change that.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I think the results of their election will really help each one of us do some real inventory. If I'm super excited because my candidate won, what does it say about the faith that I place in Christ? Have I transferred some of it to my candidate? If my candidate of choice or whoever I check my name next to, if he loses, am I going to walk around being, you know, just kind of sour rod and not able to, you know, you know, live this life because again a portion of my faith that should belong to the father i have vested it in one of these men who occupy these mics in washington Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's going to be a very telling story about all of our faith in the way that we react to um tuesday's results so yep amen Amen, i appreciate you brother yep same here talk to you soon bye-bye
0: Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services, Sundays at 11 a.m., or check out gospelhopechurch.com.